This is episode 140 with physiotherapist, athletic performance specialist, author, and a man who's worked at two Olympic Games, none other than Mr. David Joyce. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and this podcast is dedicated to bringing you the rock stars in the fitness industry to help you reach more of your running goals. You're going to hear from elite runners, but you'll also be surrounded by their support team and other big players from the world of endurance running, sports psychologists, strength experts, coaches, best-selling authors, and physical therapists who make it all possible. The goal is always be giving you new ideas to improve get better, and reach more of your goals. Because as I like to say, knowledge is a competitive advantage. If you're new to the show, we have 139 other episodes, a video channel on YouTube, or our home base, strengthrunning.com, where you can see all of our coaching programs, detailed guides on everything from hill training to strength workouts to how you can stay healthy during your next big training block. And if there's something you don't see, let me know and I'll make it for you. I would also like to thank you all for making the Strength Running Podcast consistently the number one or two running podcast in the United States. We've actually already surpassed 2 million downloads, and many of you have left reviews in Apple Music over the last few weeks, and I really appreciate that. They truly make my day. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Inside Tracker, a company that helps endurance athletes optimize their training after taking a simple blood test. I'm a customer, I love their science-based approach, and I think this is one of those investments that actually makes you into a better runner. Figuring out if you're overtraining or undertraining so you can finally train more effectively. Use code STRENGTHRUNNING without any spaces to save 10% on any of their blood testing kits at insidetracker.com. All right, our guest today is a titan in the world of elite sport. David Joyce has worked at the highest levels of world athletics and with multiple national, world, and Olympic champions. He's worked at two Olympic Games with elite rugby and soccer teams, and he's currently the head of athletic performance with a Greater Western Sydney Giants soccer team in Sydney, Australia. Dave's probably upset that I used the word soccer there. I'm sorry, the football team in Australia. He holds master's degrees in both sports physiotherapy and strength and conditioning and teaches the master's of strength and conditioning course at Edith Cowan University in Perth, Australia. He's the main editor of two authoritative books on athletic performance and injury risk mitigation. The first is Sports Injury Prevention and Recovery, Integrating Medicine and Science for Performance Solutions, and the second is High Performance Training for Sports, the authoritative guide for ultimate athletic conditioning. In this episode, we're discussing a more effective approach to injury recovery, a performance framework that isn't simply interested in healing the injury, but actually getting you to your pre-injury level of performance. We'll talk about the major goals of this approach, how rehabilitation evolves over the course of an injury, major screening considerations for injuries, and David's top strategies for staying healthy if you currently don't have an injury. This is the guy at the Olympics and with other professional athletes helping them perform at world-class levels. It was an honor and a privilege to speak with David, and I hope you're all ready to take some notes. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. David Joyce. Well, I'm excited, David. Thanks for making the time to uh, to chat with me today. I want to talk all about injury prevention and recovery and really give our listeners some, some good actionable advice that they can incorporate into their own training so that they can hopefully avoid their next big injury. Sure. So maybe I wanted to uh, start here with an approach to injury rehabilitation called performance-based or the performance framework for rehabilitation. Can you maybe describe this approach for us? Yeah. So, Jason, I think that the main thing with this is the fact that performance rehabilitation really starts with the end in mind, which is what what am I trying to get back to? Um, the traditional rehab starts with the on day zero with the with the injury and 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 builds up from there, but I, I actually don't think that it's the best way to do it I don't think it's intentional and it's not re- it's it it's looking at you know looking at the, the healing of the injury 
which is which is okay. But really, what I'm trying to do is is think about what what is it that I'm trying to get back to. What are those demands, and how can I train in the presence of the injury? And that is the critical piece here. Is you take the athlete or take the you, you, you consider the athlete as the whole, the injury as being a part of the athlete, and you and how can I how can I consider the whole person, not just the injury? And also how can I consider the opportunities that I've now been given because of the injury? So um, if we if we take the starting from the end, what we need to consider if we're if we're considering your audience which are going to be runners what what am I trying to get back to am I a marathon runner am I a sprinter and then you 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 work backwards from there it's kind of it's almost like a design thinking approach to rehabilitation um and you can you could build your milestones back from there it then the best way I can explain it is you are you allow the rehabilitation process to be tailored specifically to the demands of what you're trying to get to rather than building up and then you kind of find out that you're, you're rushed at the end or whatever and, and you're, you're looking at milestones along the way rather than just the passage of time. Traditionally what happens is you go, oh, I've, I've hurt my foot um, the doctor say, says it's going to be six weeks and then magically something is something with your body is is fixed in six weeks now there's there's certain elements of biology which is which are irrefutable and that it takes six weeks to, to heal a broken bone or, or whatever but that doesn't mean to say you're going to be back to performance that just means that the the, the bone itself is healed but in that time, your hamstrings have got a little bit weaker and, and your aerobic capacity has dropped and all those sorts of things. So if we start with the end in mind, we can, we can work on all those other features that, require, uh, that are required to get back to performance and work on them in parallel with the body's own biological healing process. Um, does that does that answer the question? Does that make sense, Jase? Yeah, it does. And, and I'm really excited about this because I feel like I'm finally talking to someone who is not just trying to get me to be pain-free, but actually trying to get me back to a point where I can do what I was doing pre-injury. And I think that's what every runner wants, right? They actually want to get back to their normal training level, whatever that might be. And one of the things that you said earlier, David, that I want to touch on a little bit, you said you know, our goal is to train in the presence of injury. And I think for a lot of runners that, you know, that's almost counterintuitive. It's an oxymoron. Can you explain that a little bit more? If, if we're injured, how do we train? Well, I suppose a bit depends on the injury, doesn't it, Jace? Like, so the reason we run is because, you know, some, some of us are competitive, some of us are recreational. All of us do it because it helps our physical fitness and our, our mental fitness as well. Uh, I don't know that many people who are committed runners, and I'm guessing that anyone listening to your podcast is going to be a committed runner. Um, I don't know that many of them that would be happy just to down tools and take a big part of their life out whilst their foot injury or their hamstring injury heals. They, they're doing the running is the vehicle for another bigger part of their identity. So how do we train in the presence of an injury? Well, the re I suppose the reason we're doing this is because of that identity piece. And there are, there, there are numerous ways that we can work on that physical and mental fitness um, without stressing the injury too much so let, if we let's just take achilles tendon pain for example because that's something i'm sure many of your listeners are going to be familiar with it may mean that you have to in the in the first couple of weeks dial back on your running load now 
That doesn't mean, however, that you have to dial back on your training load because there are other ways of training without that stretch shorten cycle, which is generally speaking what hurts the Achilles tendon. So you, you can get on the elliptical, you can get on the bike, you can get on the, the rower, you can get on the in the in the swimming pool. You can change how you run. You may just reduce the amount of hills that you're doing. You may um, you may change the sequencing of your running, whatever it is, but you're still getting that that mental load, you're still getting that physical load into you. So it does require a little bit of creativity, a little bit of strategic thought on how you can how you can get the the um, get your heart rate up without unduly stressing the the injury. But the other thing to remember too is that again, depending on the injury, it does need progressive stress in order to heal. So our muscles get strong by pushing them to the point where they have to adapt a broken bone needs some sort of stress not too much and not too early because then it fails to heal but it's not as if it goes from broken to overnight over the course of six weeks just um, having healed it does need that progressive stress to in order to to get stronger so it, it is a case of progressively exposing it to those sorts of loads. And that's where that's what I mean by training in the presence of injury. Um, how to be creative and 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 stress the body and the mind in such a way that the the healing is not interrupted, but all the other systems are ready to go and not they've not decayed to such a point that they're you're having to start from scratch for the whole body, not just the injured tissue. This really resonates with me. I, I just am thinking back to my college days running cross country and track. And uh, I was a fairly injury prone athlete um, back then. And whenever I got hurt, I would go to the trainer, you know, we would diagnose the injury, we would talk about uh, an approach to to treat it. And my coach would always ask, well, what can we do? And, and I think that was a, a similar way of treating the injury recovery process as what you're describing, which is, well, you might not be able to run, but there's always something else that we can do. Can we at least do some strength training? Can we get on the bike and do some cycling uh, or, or even maybe some short, very easy running depending on the injury? So, you know, I, I think the coach in, in this kind of coach physio PT relationship here, you know, he's the person who's always trying to get you back to running, back to performing really well. And so the reason why I really like this approach is because it, it kind of combines, you know, the coach with the physical therapist, you know, one person wants to heal the injury, the other person wants you to perform really well. And this seems like a, a holistic approach to not just getting healthy, but returning to your previous self. Because I think that's, that's one of the big problems that runners have is, you know, they get injured and, you know, they kind of you know, take their recovery not too seriously. And so when they start up again, you know, they still have some lingering issues, whether that's with mobility, whether that's with some sort of imbalance and getting back to performance really means not just recovering from the injury, but dealing with whatever caused it in the first place. Yeah. It's, and you, you've brought up a, a number of good points there, Jay. So injury is an opportunity. So if you can't run or you can't whatever it is that you like to do maybe that's the time where you can work on your your mobility or or another aspect your upper body strength or, or whatever so um there's only so many hours in the day that some things get deprioritized um and now it's now the injury if you can't do the, the normal amount of miles that you would do in your training week it then frees up some time for you to do other things. So there's there's your opportunity. The other thing you hit on was the fact that injury begets injury. Now, traditionally, what will happen is the the doctors or the the physical therapists or whomever you go to will say, "Okay, you just need to rest." And there's no question that resting does allow the body. Uh, an environment in which to heal. So that's that's good. The, bod the body's been doing this for ever. 
it's just we're we're masters at it. However, what it doesn't do is allow you to get back to performance. So, with the with the injury beginning injury, if you let's just say that you've you've hurt your your knee, if you don't or you, let's let's just, an easier example is if you've um, if you've hurt your if you've hurt your ankle. If you don't do the the strengthening work of your hamstrings, if you don't get the loading into your knees and the like, whilst your ankle is healing, you are now more susceptible to hamstring injuries, to to knee injuries. And then so by the time you get back, the magical six weeks mark, six week mark, um, your your hamstrings have deconditioned, your your general fitness is deconditioned, your knee has deconditioned, your, your tendons are softened. And that's why I see so many people that when they get an injury, they'll come to me and say, oh, listen, Dave, I've got, um, I've got some patellar tendon issues here. And then you dig back into their training history and they'll say, oh, yeah, well, I missed four weeks here because I hit my, because I hurt my ankle. And that's the real kicker. That's why they've got this hamstring injury or their patellar tendon pain in the first place is because there's been huge mothball size or moth-eaten sized holes in their in their training diary. So injury begets injury. And then the third point you hit on was that nexus of of the sports medicine care and the coaching. And you articulated in in a much better way than I did about that's what performance rehabilitation is, is trying to take away the silo and for the physical therapist to really understand what it is that the athlete is trying to get back to. But equally, the coach having an understanding of what the pathology and what the healing requirements are for that particular injury. So, so good work. Great question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the opportunities from injuries that you've we've kind of mentioned in passing, and some of those opportunities are are simply cross training. I think, right? You know, things like the elliptical, pool running, or aqua jogging, getting on the bike. Are there other examples of opportunities that expose themselves to runners when they do get an injury? Absolutely. So, running is one of those things that is fairly time intensive. Like no one, I imagine a lot of your your listenership are going to be dedicated, serious runners that may require, a training session may require an hour, an hour and a half, and often much longer than that. So if they can't get out for an hour and a half run or they can only do half an hour because of, Achilles tendon pain or whatever, they've now got extra time. Now, if they've already apportioned that period of time in their diary to training, um, it then frees up uh, an extra half an hour for mobility work or the thing that a lot of runners forget is the strength work. Strength is the the um, one of the main things the main modifiable risk factors that we have for injuries. So it it affords everyone an opportunity to get that into their program to form a habit of strength training, which means that they um, the, their risk profile for further injury is reduced. So I would say that, that strength and mobility are the, the two prime opportunities that are afforded when we get an injury there's no question about it well i've long said that strength training is really critical for runners i I don't actually even consider it cross training it's really just part of the training process that is really important for endurance runners no doubt and 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 a lot of endurance runners particularly recreational ones um either don't have the time don't have the priority, and that's that's probably the key thing, is they don't prioritise enough or they don't know where to start with it or they've got this misshapen belief that it will make them slower. Right, and I'm certainly one of those runners that usually doesn't prioritise it because 
I would just rather be running. And I don't think I'm, I'm very unique among runners in that regard. But at the same time, I just see how valuable it is. And I, I look at it as one of those things that actually enables my running. By strength training, I can then go run more. And so it's one of those things that I make a priority because of that. Um, now, Dave, you were talking earlier about you know this this aspect of injury recovery, which is really about progressively exposing the injury to uh, a little bit more stress so that it can gradually get back to its pre-injury form. Can you explain a little bit more about, about how that works and how the rehabilitation process might evolve over the duration of an injury? No problems. The, the, well, when I say no problems, there, there, are, there are huge problems in answering that because every injury is slightly different. But effectively, <laughs> what, you, what you want to do is protect um, the, the lines of stress. So let's just say, let's take a hamstring injury, for example. Um, in general, hamstrings are sagittal plane muscles, so they, 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 they really kick in when you're running forwards um, and also when you're running fast. So protecting the lines of stress means that there are, there are ways that you can um, get your body working in a way that if we're talking about the early stages of a hamstring injury, you can you can run sideways. So you're getting some loading into your foot, into your Achilles tendon, et cetera, et cetera, without unduly taxing the hamstring muscles themselves. Then once you can walk um, normally without any form of discomfort and without a heel raise or the like, you can then start to jog um, forwards. Now, jogging doesn't really require the hamstrings too much because jogging is, is much more of a um, an anterior chain eccentric activity and a, and a, and a concentric, so concentric from the propulsion and then the eccentric activity is, is provided by the, the anterior chain like your, your quads and your patella tendon and the like. Yeah, hamstring injury, your hamstring muscles are not required um, to the same extent when you're jogging. So that's, you, you're progressing that way. Then once you can you can prove competency and confidence with that, then you can start increasing the the speed to the point where you are um, running. And then once you've got the competency and the confidence with that, you can start sprinting and changing direction. So it's 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 a it's kind of a, a more of a linear approach to going. How can we get some load in? whilst protecting the injury whilst it's healing. So that, that's what I mean by, um, A, using it as an opportunity, so you, you're getting some different load in, you're training in the presence of an injury, but you're also protecting the lines of stress. That is the, that's, that's an aspect of performance rehabilitation. It's looking at what you can do rather than what you can't do. Now, how do you know when it's appropriate to start adding in more and more stressful types of training to the injury? Is Are we simply using pain as our guide or is there something else? It depends on the injury, Jase. So there are, there are things where pain is a really good guide and there are, there are times where pain, particularly at the time, is not a great guide. So an acute soft tissue injury, pain tends to be a pretty good guide. Like I don't like hamstrings getting tight during a, a, a session. Um, I think that's that's our body saying, you know, we've, we've pushed the envelope too far. So that's, that's an acute response. However, a patella tendon or an Achilles tendon often won't give us a really good indication there and then. Achilles tendons if it's a degenerative one, so the the guys that the guys and girls that get Achilles tendon pain um, that are beyond their mid twenties in age, they tend to stiffen up to start with. So the, the I think most many runners would be familiar with getting out of bed and their Achilles tendon is a bit sore and a bit stiff. But once you get going, that's you know it it starts to warm up, and that's fairly typical of that of that degenerative tendon profile. 
Um, but then, you know, the, the, the rate of adaptation of the, of the tendons is much slower than what it is with, with, um, with muscles. So pain or increasing stiffness in the, in the tendons over the next 24 hours is not particularly a good guide. It might, it might take 48 hours for us to get that sort of feedback. So pain ceases to become a really good insight into how well the, ten- the tendon is adapting or, or coping with the loads that you're applying to it. So if you've got an Achilles tendon problem, I tend to leave it for a couple of days between dosages or particularly high dosages, whereas a muscle problem, I'm, I, I get much more immediate feedback. So it, that's why I say it's a bit more of a, a, a tricky injury-dependent um, uh, decision-making matrix that I go through there. And I, I apologise if that's not a, a satisfying response, but it really does depend on the, the, the injury that you're dealing with. Well, that's okay. Coaches are used to the answer, it depends, because that's pretty much the answer I get a lot on the podcast. But I, I like the, the, the framework for understanding it, I think, is the helpful part of that. And would you say that it's it's almost a general rule that you should be a little bit more conservative with uh, exercising on injured tendons uh, rather than muscles? Um, no, I don't think I would say that's a that's a a, a general rule. Um, I, I I tend to be more conservative with with muscles in the acute phase. And I and I get a lot, I pay a lot more attention to the immediate feedback from the muscles, um, and I'm I'm certainly more conservative with the high speed stuff with with muscle injuries. Um, it depends on the stage of the tendon injury. Like I'm really conservative with an acute tendon injury because those ones don't love um, rapid changes in load whatsoever, and so I take a lot of I put a lot of stock into the feedback I get from an acute tendon injury. But a, a grumbly tendon injury or a tendon pain, like the the, the classic 45-year-old um, recreational runner who gets stiff in the morning, I'm happy to push them a little bit more, generally speaking, and I don't want to – I don't want to – um, runners to take this as specific advice for their particular injury because that's when we get into to problems. But as a general rule, I tend to to push the envelope with those ones a little bit more. Understood. Now, is there a way to screen athletes in the first place for their injury risk so that they potentially don't get hurt at all? Oh. I think that caveat of not getting injured at all is is a difficult one because it doesn't matter how well you how well you screen them if your training program is no good it's it's um you can't mitigate that risk the best way I approach this I think back in the day what um, athletic trainers and and physios and doctors would try and do would be to screen for every possible injury, and there are just two. There's an infinite number of permutations and computations that can go into that, so it's not really an effective way of doing it. So the my thinking on this subject, Jace, was really shaped by um, a thought exercise that I that I undertook a, a number of years ago because I was dissatisfied with the way we did this in sport and I thought who who screens more people than anyone and I was living in the UK at the time and I came upon the the UK border controls they they screen millions of people coming into the UK every year millions and millions how is it that they can allow people into the UK without a cavity search of every single person. And so I actually spent some time with them. And it basically, what it amounts to is that they have a stratification process. They go, they have a generic warning index and then they have a specific warning index. So the generic warning index might be um, 
anyone coming from a high-risk um, country um, where there are um, known troublemakers or, or, or whatever or, or how they – and then a specific warning index might be the, the specifics of that injury. They might have a red flag on their, their passport or whatever. So I've extrapolated that to injury. So the generic warning index for me, for a runner, would be I would – and let's – if we just take distance running, the main features that we see of, of runners would be Achilles tendon pain, knee injuries, and patella tendon injuries, um, and, and to a lesser extent hamstring injuries. So I would be much more interested in looking at those things in in detail with a runner rather than trying to work out every possible injury that could possibly occur. So that's the generic warning index that I would apply to all people that came to see me with a with a um, that wanted to get into distance running. Then I would look at the specific warning index, which would be primarily what their injury history was and if they had an in they had a, a history of an ACL injury or a, a, a litany of calf injuries um, I would be I'd be much more wanting to delve into those things so I've then basically what I've done is I've taken the I've filtered down from every possible injury that could occur down to probably the five most likely injuries that can occur with that person. This reminds me of injury begets injury, right? Uh, exactly right. Exactly right. So, so then I'm I'm not I'm not trying to embark on the impossible task of predicting every injury. I'm trying to to scrutinise the most likely injuries and therefore go and be able to tailor my my assessment and my risk mitigation program to those most likely. And that's not knowing that I might you, inevitably you're going to, you're going to miss 10, 15% of possible injuries, but you're much more likely to get the, the big rocks. And, and that's a, that's a much more, uh, strategic approach to injury risk mitigation than just trying to stop everything, which is is too diffuse. It's an impossible task. Right. And and when I asked the question, I probably shouldn't have phrased it the way that I did, because obviously with really any sport where you're trying to progressively increase your workload and do more, do things faster and harder, there's a pretty big risk of getting injured, especially for a more uh, performance-oriented person who is pushing that envelope pretty regularly. So, you know, we're not going to prevent every single injury, but I think the goal with these kinds of conversations is to understand the big risk factors and then structure our training and our relationship to running in, in a certain way so that we are reducing some of those big risks and just being as smart as possible about, you know, everything that we're doing. Yeah, absolutely, and and certainly from a, a, a tendon injury risk, the, the best way to to conceptualise this is having a, a cycle of high, medium, and low tendon load days. Now, of course, what what constitutes a high tendon load day for me might be, and probably is, quite different to what it is for for you, Jace. So, um, generally speaking, high tendon load is is repeated stretch shorten cycles. So. Um, you know, bounding, jumping, those sorts of things tend to be high tendon load. Um, now, if you're a high jumper and you do multiple, multiple um, episodes of plyometrics and, and jumping, et cetera, et cetera, um, you may have a higher tolerance for that than the recreational runner who's never really embarked upon that. So their high tendon load, um, they might they might be able to, do that a little bit more frequently. But generally speaking, my recommendation is that high tendon load is embarked upon every third day and, and no more regularly than that. But that's not to say that training needs to stop and you can only train every third day. It just means that your high tendon load sessions are going to be every third day. 
And for runners, that'd be a lot of running really fast, right? That's that's probably your yeah your your high quality, um, often a midweek session where you, you you're doing one two four hundred repeats. The your your longer runs or your recovery runs, they're probably your your your, your low and your um, your medium tendon load days. So I would go high tendon load day followed by a low tendon load then a medium, then maybe a low, then another high tendon load day. Um, and I'd structure my, my training loads that way. Um, if someone's got a history of um, of bone stress, I wouldn't run every, certainly every day. I would go every other day or every third day. It depends on what their, their history is like. Um, and generally speaking, um, it depends on the depends on the runner. Most recreational runners probably don't respond well to running seven days out of seven. You you do need some off feet days. That's that's um, you you end up by running in that that blurred middle zone, which is not really performance running. So um, I, I tend to recommend maybe maybe five. It depends on again depends on the person. Three, two, three, four. Or a maximum of five days running in a, in a week is probably the best way to do it. I would have thought for the majority. There are a couple of elites that might do a little bit more, but but for the for a broad brushstroke of the population, that's that's where I, my recommendations tend, tend to lie. Well, now that we're talking about training, uh, I'd love to talk about something you mentioned earlier when I asked you about screening athletes to prevent injuries, and and you did say that you know. No, no amount of preventive work or, or anything like that or strength training is going to overcome poorly designed training. And I'd love to talk about that a little bit more because, you know, we've talked about strength training and how that's great for injury prevention. Um, I'm a big proponent of that. But at the same time, you know, I tell my runners all the time, even if your strength training is, you know, quote unquote, ideally structured, then you're never going to stay healthy if your training is just structured really, really improperly. And, and I thought maybe it would be helpful to talk about some of those uh, mistakes that runners might make with their training that really increase their risk of injury. Yeah, and it sort of um, lends itself to the, the previous conversation then about um, you, you, can, you can be really strong um, but still get injured. And there are plenty of really strong people that get injured, you know. So strength is not the be-all and end-all. Um, there, there are ways, there are, there are scientifically proven ways to get injured, and that is by doing way too much or having a, a, a really rapid change in what you're doing. So if you go from nothing to trying to run a marathon within three weeks, that is a that is a, a surefire way to get injured and at least, at the very least, hate the process. So the, the body seems to do well. The body's a remarkable machine. It does well with consistency and it does well with progressive overload, not um, not huge changes in the stimulus. Yeah, I think consistency is the runner's best friend, whether it's with training, whether it's with your preventative efforts, with strength training, we always want to be consistent in what we're doing. Don't you think, Jace, that's that's um, that's life though? Like if we're looking <laughs> yeah, if, probably if, if we're looking at investment, um, if we're looking at learning how to you know, learning a new language, all those sorts of things, consistency is the thing <laughs> which always comes up as being the cornerstone of everything. Um, and running is just a microcosm of life. So absolutely, consistency is is the most important thing for habit formation, and habit formation is the most imp- – it's the superpower, the biggest lever in performance gains in training. And at the risk of, of completely butchering a famous quote, how does it go? It's excellence is uh, what you repeatedly do, therefore it is a habit. Exactly. Exactly right. I think I got about seventy percent of that right. Yeah. Look, you, you you may not have got quoted it verbatim, but the the <laughs> essence is absolutely there. And um, 
and that, uh, as I say, that applies to, to learning a new skill, but it absolutely applies to running. And so habit formation, it's who you are, what's your identity is the critical bit here. Now, um, and so slow and steady in, increases in in um, in your training program are important not just to to help shape that identity but it's also to allow the body to adapt to to whatever you're doing so um that's that's the the most i i would say that's the probably the most important injury prevention and i hate that term but it's the most important um injury risk mitigation tool that we have it's the it's also the biggest reason why people don't achieve what they want to achieve Great. It's like a double whammy. It is both a, a necessary component to your performance, but also in your injury risk mitigation efforts. Absolutely. Yeah. So David, I, I what I wanted to do is love to, I would love to wrap a bow on this and, and get some of your, you know, big, uh, I will uh, prevent myself from using the word injury prevention. Maybe we'll say injury risk mitigation <laughs> strategies for runners to stay healthy besides consistency, which we just talked about. What are some other two to three strategies if runners were looking for a summary of uh, your book, this this conversation right now? What can runners do right now in their training to help them stay healthy? So outside having um, a, a good training program, if you have um, good lower body strength um, and with specific focus on on your glute max, glute med strength, um, your quad, quads and hamstring and, and calf strength, I think they're all really important. Um, I love people being able to skip. I think that is that the skipping rope is the most uh, underrated and, and yeah, the most underrated performance-enhancing tool that we have in the gym. So I think that's it's brilliant for calf strength. It's brilliant for... Um, tendon resiliency and and tendon stiffness I, I i love it and um so we've got strength we've got i think hip mobility is really important so anything you can do to get your hips mobile is is super important and then of course you, you can have all those sorts of things but if you've got a terrible running technique um that predisposes you to injury now that shouldn't be the thing which um, precludes you from trying. It just means that maybe you need to go and get a little bit of coaching, a little bit of help. But if you can nail those things, you are you're you're a long way down the track to being able to run happy and run healthy. I love it, David. Thanks to you for making this so actionable for us. Have a good training plan. Get strong, particularly in your lower body. Do some skipping. Practice some hip mobility and make sure you don't have any glaring red flags or flaws with your running form. I think that's um, really succinct. And, and if runners uh, really were honest with themselves and looked at their training, looked at their injury history, you know, maybe there's one or two things that they uh, haven't been spending a lot of time with that maybe they should be spending some time with. And so maybe that's one of the opportunities right now that they could uh, take and then improve upon. Yeah, and and I'd I'd love to, I'd love to have a gimmick that I could pedal or or something. I I'm I will I'll level with you, Jace, and and with the with your listeners. There's no there's no there's no shortcuts to any place worth going, and there are no gimmicks. Um, foam rollers, fine. Um, ice baths, fine. They are one percenters. Trust me. If you you can you can foam roll all you like, but if you don't have decent glute strength, you'll get injured. One thing that um, is often overlooked, though, particularly for the um, your more distance runners, uh, the, your your listeners that are distance runners, is having decent nutrition on board. And I don't think that gets that. That will stop you getting injured. But if you're at um, the, 
the 25-kilometer mark of a long run, and I'm not sure what that is in old money. Let's let's call it the the 16-mile mark of old money of 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 your running program, and you don't have enough glycogen on board. You know you haven't you haven't prepared yourself nutritionally well enough. You then get sloppy with your running. And when you get sloppy with your running, when you lose your form, that's when you're more likely to overload and get injured. So having decent nutritional support on board can be a a good injury risk mitigator and not because it strengthens your body, although it probably does, all that sort of stuff. I think it just enables you to run with better form when you're doing your longer sessions. Well, sure. Yeah. It mitigates fatigue to a certain extent. You just have more energy availability. And, you know, uh, we can't talk about this without me thinking about the marathon and how, you know, if you want to see some of the the worst running form on the planet, you know, go to kilometer 39 or 40. (laughs) And and there's a lot of runners that are struggling. Now, everyone is struggling at that point in the marathon. Uh, David, you'll be struggling tomorrow (laughs) when you're running your marathon. But the, the fueling side of things can help push that point where you start really running low on fuel further down into the race. So later on in the race, so that when your form does get a little sloppy, then, you know, you just have less to run. And, and I think, you know, nutrition plays a role in this. Uh, strength training plays a role in this so that you can actually uh, hold yourself together a little bit more at the end of a, a challenging race like that. But I think that's a great point because it's something that not a lot of runners think about. Yeah, and it's you, you. What you said about fatigue is absolutely right. So effectively, what all forms of training is doing, all forms, whether it's strength training, whether it's running training, um, you're trying to delay fatigue. So, um, I, I'm I'm a I'm a decent runner. I'm not your standard, but I'm a decent runner um, for for a recreational runner. Um, but I'm a terrible swimmer. And, um, and I, I, my, my form is poor, all those sorts of things. So I know that I'm fit, but I get fatigued because my, my, my swimming stroke is, is not streamlined. So what I need to do is to improve that to delay fatigue. And what, what having bio, bioavailability of, of of glucose and those sorts of things is you're delaying fatigue. It's what it's what strength training is doing. It's what running training is doing is is delaying that point where you can't go anymore. So a, a, a proper training strategy encompasses all of those things to to push fatigue further further on. Um, in terms of the the hundred meters in in a, in a hundred meter race, it's often said that it's not necessarily the fastest person that wins. It's the one that can delay fatigue the longest or the one that slows down the least. Um, and that's, that's what, um, we, we saw with the sub two hour marathon. All the strategies that were put in place were trying to delay fatigue and nutrition is just one way of doing that. Yeah. And, and I believe Usain Bolt's performances have been studied and he's actually one of the hundred meter runners that does slow down the least. It's not that he's necessarily the quickest out of the blocks or that his top speed is the highest. It's really that everyone else is slowing down a little bit more than him. So I think that's a great way to look at it, even at the highest level of sprinting in the world. Yeah. And if actually, if you look at his um, and that there's a terrific piece that you can look up online is the um, the segmental analysis of every um, runner in the in the race in Berlin when he broke the world record um, in the hundred meters, um, and it turns out that he was actually the fastest. He he reached the, the peak speeds, um, but he. Um, he didn't. I might butcher this, but he didn't drop below ten meters a second from the forty meter mark onwards. So Asifa Powell got to that point, but but was able to hold it for about fifteen meters, whereas Bolt was able to hold it for sixty meters. 
it's in, it's absolutely extraordinary to to have a look at. Yeah, and and at that level, at such a short distance, every little meter and microsecond really counts. And and I love looking at uh, some of the details in those kinds of races. Absolutely. David, thank you so much for being here and chatting with me about all things injuries, not quite all things injuries, but we really got deep on, on some aspects of um, risk mitigation and, and also rehabilitation. So helping runners get back to health. We really appreciate your time. And if folks want to follow your work or, or check you out online, where can they find you? Um, so I'm, I'm not huge on social media, but I am on Twitter, which is at David G. Joyce and uh, LinkedIn as well for more professional things. And um, I've got a couple of books. One's called Sports Injury Prevention and Rehabilitation, and that's a couple of years old now. The other one is High Performance Training for Sports, which is about to, well, probably at the end of the year, we'll have its second edition. So that's um, that's probably the best place to to have a, a look at some of the, the stuff that I've done and, and really happy to interact with, with your, your readers and yourself. So um, it's been a, been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed the, the questioning and, and, um, and good luck to all the, the runners out there. Well, thanks, David. Again, this was exciting for me and I, I know it was for our listeners too. And good luck with that solo marathon tomorrow that you're doing. That is even more exciting. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. I, to, to be honest, I can't wait to having it finished. Yeah, I'm sure every marathoner thinks that way sometimes. <laughs> All right. Take care, Dean. Cheers. Bye-bye. And there it is. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as I had having it. If you want to go deep down the rabbit hole of performance and injuries, just search David Joyce on Amazon, and the first two books that come up are David's. Thank you again for listening. Thanks for the flood of reviews recently on Apple Music. You guys are incredible. And thank you to our sponsor, Inside Tracker. You can see what they're all about at insidetracker.com. And if you do want to take that leap, use code STRENGTHRUNNING to save 10% on any test. Now, if you're not familiar with them, Inside Tracker tests more than 40 different biomarkers, like various stress hormones, to determine if you're training too hard, too little, or have any physiological weaknesses that can be remedied by either diet, exercise, or lifestyle changes. In other words, you learn about problems that have actionable solutions. Inside Tracker uses blood testing to get this information, and then they communicate what you can do to lift or lower your results into your own personal, unique, optimal range. So for any runner who wants every advantage to see what they're truly capable of achieving, I highly recommend Inside Tracker. I'm not just a spokesman, I'm also a customer. Sorry, I've Kind of always just wanted to say something like that. (laughs) Let's just finish up and say they do great work. And I had an awesome experience with them last fall uh, when I got my own uh, blood test and the results. So head on over to InsideTracker.com. Check out all their testing kits. And code STRENGTHRUNNING will save you 10% on any of the tests that they have available. Okay, that's it for today's show. I hope you're well and safe. Thank you again. And we'll be in touch soon.